This is Inside the FLX from FingerLakes1.com. I'm Ted Baker. Good morning. COVID-19, almost two years in. It was March of 2020 that our lives changed, and the people on the front lines have been our county health department workers. I had a chance over the last couple of weeks to sit down and talk to five people from four county health departments about how they've battled the pandemic, how they've kept morale up, the things they've had to deal with, the things they've learned along the way. I hope you enjoy the conversation. COVID at almost two years. It'll be March of 2022 that we've been two years in this pandemic, and we're going to have conversations with a number of public health officials, beginning with Mary Beer, Director of Public Health for Ontario County. Mary, good morning. Good morning. So take us back to February of 2020, your, your typical everyday county health department, and then suddenly in March you're on war footing every day for the last two years. What's this been like? Well, February we were getting ready. We knew it was coming. Um, but on a normal type of work, um, we're doing a lot of education. Um, we're doing our programs such as rabies and lead investigations and other types of um, communicable disease. Um, so, you know, kept us busy every day. A lot of education, a lot of coalition building, that kind of thing. Do you remember the day when this went from something that we're hearing about in the news in China to something that, okay, we have to do something about this ourselves? Well, um, I do remember the day we got our first case. Um, and so we knew it, again, we knew it was coming. We were watching what was going on downstate and knew it was just a matter of time till it would um, hit our department. And so um, I don't remember the exact date right now, but um, the following day we did a, a press release to let our community know that we had had our first case. And it was at that time that um, we started to, we had already been planning for what we were going to do in terms of trying to take the resources that we had and um, in terms of staffing and how do we shift from the normal day-to-day -day business that we do into doing these investigations. So. I remember Ontario County was one of the first to get a lot of information out. You had a very good map on your website. You could look at cases by town and by city. Mm -hmm. How were you able to put that together and get that out and working so quickly? Well, uh, we were tracking all of our information, and we have a health educator, and every day we were um, tracking what was going on in the community and where so that we could educate. And uh, so we had processes in place for um, tracking all of our cases. What's it the was, state? At that point, in the beginning, it was all manual. Um, eventually, the state developed an actual um, system for us to be able to to enter all our cases into. And um, up until recently, we were doing that for every single case that came in. So it kind of over time we saw things evolve in terms of our processes just because it, it after a while it was just too much to do everything manually what's the state of covid-19 in ontario county right now we're starting to hear nationally talk that omicron might be on the downslide are you seeing that not yet we're still yesterday our, our numbers were higher than the day before 
So we're, we have not plateaued yet. So we're hoping that we're a couple weeks behind downstate and that another week or two, we're hoping that we'll see some decrease. I was at the news conference a couple of weeks back at the Board of Supervisors room. You, you pulled together health officials and lawmakers and county officials and, and gave a really comprehensive briefing on COVID. Uh, talk to us about putting that together. Um, it was really just a matter of seeing that our hospitalizations were up and our hospitals in our region, we have three in our county, and um, certainly um, a lot of our, our patients or residents go up to the Monroe County for their care as well. And so our hospitals were getting strained, so we felt it was really important to get some information out um, for and for people to take this seriously, this has been going on a long time, and people are tired, and they just want it to be over, and they aren't necessarily doing the things that they need to do to keep themselves safe, like I, wearing a mask and and um, you know limiting where you're going and your interactions and getting vaccinated and getting boosted. That's really key. I've been saying if county health departments ran everything in the world, we'd have no trouble. My wife and my son both went through one of your drive through clinics at the highway garage. And, I, I mean, everybody, you know exactly where to go. It runs like clockwork. Was there some sort of template for setting those up, or how did you go about doing that so efficiently? Well, every year we uh, are required to do drills in preparation in case there is a pandemic. And so this is not a new process for us. What was new was doing a drive-through. So in the fall of 2019, we, we always held a food clinic and especially um, had our, our employees for the county um, to make it available to them. But it, it was actually a drill for our team to be able to um, always do um, a clinic and then we would evaluate how well we did. This was very different from um, H1N1 when we did put up a lot of clinics, but we didn't do drive-throughs at that time. And we weren't really quite sure that that would be a very efficient way of doing it. However, in the fall of 2019, we decided to try it because we had heard that other counties had successfully um, used that model. And so um, we did a flu clinic here in, in our, um, actually in our parking lot, of um, the public health building, and it really worked very well. We were we were very very pleased that it did end up being very efficient. And it was at that time that we felt well, uh, maybe rather than tying up the um, the parking lot here, and um, it was challenging in the weather um, because we use trailers and getting up and down and up and down, it was difficult for the staff. So then um, actually the um, interim county administrator at that time, Brian Young, had uh, an idea to let's consider doing it over at the garage. And that's when we moved it over there. And um, actually he had started um, and we had started doing some testing as of the drive-through. So that actually was the precursor for us to get all the bugs out. So by the time we had vaccine to start giving, it was really just clockwork. Well, I, congratulations to all those people. It just was a, a fantastically run uh, series of events. What has the impact of COVID been on the usual things that you do day to day? Has it been hard to, to keep up your regular things that you do in the midst of this pandemic? 
Well, a lot of things that we did, we just did not do, that we really did just shift um, the majority of our work to COVID. However, there are certain things that we had to continue doing, such as rabies investigations and TB investigations. So those things, it did um, cause a challenge. However, we were very grateful um, for two things. One, that we, um, we were very supported by our Board of Supervisors in terms of getting resources. So we were able to um, hire some agency staff to come alongside us and help us with um, the case investigations. And that really has worked out very, very well for us. The other thing that has been uh, a true blessing and um, can't speak enough to the people who volunteered and came beside and worked with us for all of those clinics and even um, people from the community that came in and would volunteer their time just to help us answer phones because it, it did get pretty hairy at times. Explain the difference between isolation and quarantine and what are the what are your recommendations right now for people who test positive? Okay, so um, isolation is for someone who is positive for COVID or presumed positive. For example, if you if you have a family member who is positive and tested um, by layup, then um, and then you start getting symptoms, we would presume that you also have it and wouldn't necessarily say you have to get tested. A quarantine means that you've been exposed to someone who has COVID and that um, it would have been um, unmasked for greater than 15 minutes or um, a long period of time in close proximity, even masked. So um, the difference is initially there was a difference in time um, in the amount of time you had to be in isolation versus quarantine. So, and I can't remember, you know, the dates, of course, but as the, the, um, as the pandemic evolved and the CDC did more and more studies and found more and more information, um, they did adjust the recommendations for isolation and quarantine. So started out, isolation was always for 10 days and quarantine was for 14. Um, and then eventually quarantine went to 10 and 10. And now we're at, um, both are at five days. Um, and then there's differences if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, whether or not, um, if you're quarantined, um, you, you may not need to be quarantined if you don't have symptoms and you're fully vaccinated. So there's a lot of nuances that, that go on that. So right now, um, while before, um, it was always that, that public health did all the investigations and worked with the state. The state did a lot of our investigations as well and then would give us the case back. Um, and do a lot of contact tracing. At this point, because of the vast number of individuals across the state that um, had COVID and have been exposed to COVID, um, we no longer are doing contact tracing. So when someone is positive, they go onto our website and they can get their order of isolation right and they do a self-attestation. And that's the same as for quarantine. Mary Beer, Director of Public Health in Ontario County, thank you for your time. And, and let me say, because I know we don't say it enough and haven't said it enough these last two years, thank you for everything you and your department have been doing uh, through all this time. Thank you. Speaking with the interim, uh, soon-to-be permanent Director of Public Health in Seneca County, Scott King, we're talking about COVID almost two years in with a number of our public health officials. Scott, thanks for being with me. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. So tell us a little bit about how you came over to Seneca County from Cayuga County when Vicki Swinehart retired. 
Well, um, I had worked in environmental health for 20 years, uh, which environmental health is in a full-service county. Uh, some counties have a full-service department where they do all public health things, including environmental health, and some counties are partial service, um, such as um, Wayne and, and uh, Ontario. That means they do the public health side, but the environmental health is done by um, state district offices. Cuyahoga is a full-service county, as is Seneca, and having... The environmental health, uh, I'd worked there 20 years, and there was an opening here for an environmental health director position, and I interviewed for that, um, and things kind of fell into place. Vicki and I had a very good rapport and working relationship with each other, and so that's how I ended up here initially, uh, was to come and take that director of, they call it director of environmental services here in Seneca County, and that was my initial position with Seneca. When did your department become aware that COVID-19 was no longer something that's just in the news on the other side of the ocean and something you were going to have to deal with locally in Seneca County? Well, early in the pandemic, of course, it hit New York City and places like that. Um, The state um, enacted their state of emergency and so forth. Um, We were... If recollection is, if my recollection is correct, I think we may have been the last county in the state to actually have a homegrown case of COVID, but it became very apparent as it began to spread around the state in the spring that it was only a matter of time uh, before we began to have cases here. So it would say, you know, March and April, it was becoming apparent that it was going to be an issue for us here as well as, and not just the big cities. How do you and your people keep your spirits up dealing with this day after day and then all of the, you know, we'll get into the public comment and the reaction and everything in a moment, but it it just must be tough to stay positive every day going into work. Well, it certainly can be. Um, You know, first and foremost, we support each other. I mean, I have a great professional staff, a great team here. Um, You know, beyond that, though, we've received a lot of, you know, there's a lot of negative stuff in the news, but what sometimes people don't see is the support that we've had from the community, um, you know, over the course of the pandemic, whether it was testing clinics early on. And then as the vaccines rolled out, the vaccine clinics, we've had support from so many average everyday folks in the community who wanted to volunteer and help us out at our clinics. Um, the Rotarians helping us out, um, businesses in the community, you know, Del Lago, uh, allowing us to use their uh, their ballroom for mass vaccination clinics, you know, so support from large and small businesses or, uh, around the community, support from the Board of Supervisors. I can't tell you, especially during this latest surge, how many times board members have expressed to me, you know, Scott, we know what your department's going through, whatever you need. You know, they've been very supportive, um, as has the county manager and and many of the other departments. So that that helps our staff keep their spirits up knowing that there is that support. You know, there is a lot of negativity out there, but there is also there is also a full-throated support from a lot of folks in the community um, and in the county. And so that's, that's very helpful to myself and my staff to just know that we're supported like that. The focus over the last few weeks has begun to shift to testing. What, what's the availability of testing, whether it be clinics or at-home kits right now in Seneca County? So there has been, you know, throughout the pandemic, rural, rural areas have struggled to get the same access to resources that the larger municipalities, the, the Rochesters, the Syracuses, the um, New York cities get. Um, but we here at the health department, we offer testing most weeks, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, we've been doing that for quite some time now. People can pre-register online. 
or they can they can come as they walk in. Um, you know, I would encourage folks to go to our website or to our Facebook page to, to check on the times of those clinics. Most Mondays, they're from 2 to 5, Wednesdays from 9 to noon, and Friday afternoon from 1.30 to 4. Um, occasionally, there's a change in that schedule, but that's typically been our schedule for a few months now. So we have testing here three days a week. Uh, folks can go to, you know, pharmacies and places like that schedule tests. Um, oftentimes you can go to a, a pharmacy and get a drive-through test and so forth. But we've done a lot of testing here because in a small county, there aren't a lot of other places doing testing. So that's been something that we've really focused on for quite a long time, along with offering the vaccines. When people get the home test kits, they're supposed to report if they're positive. Do you have any evidence? Are people being diligent about self-reporting when they test positive at home? We have received lots and lots of home test kits. Um, we, about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago now, um, got a reportable or downloadable form. Folks can, it's a secure form. They can go right to our website and upload that, their, the, the results of their home test kit through our website. And that comes to us directly here at the health department. And we log that case in and um, deal with it as we would any other case. So that's been, that's been utilized a great to a great extent. Um, I think people are appreciative of that. We also now have, uh, as most counties do across the state now, downloadable isolation and quarantine orders, as well as release letters or release attestations that folks can download. So that's all right there on our website at this point. You mentioned the negative side of things. There's a move to ban comments from the health department website because there have just been some ugly stuff. I, I, the last I knew that was through a committee. Has that been passed by the full board of supervisors yet? That was passed by the full board, um, and so that does give us the discretion when we make a post as to whether or not to allow comments, um, and so we're using that discretion. And I think the reasoning behind the folks who wanted to stop allowing comments for some period of time is that, unfortunately, there had been some sharing of misinformation um, when we put up posts mostly related to COVID-19, whether it was about vaccinations or testing or whatnot. Um, in the comments, there had been some misinformation shared and some unfortunate you know, back and forth that was not, it was somewhat mean-spirited. And so the decision was made by the board to give us the discretion to post without allowing comments. Folks can still like the page or like the post or, you know, put up whatever like, dislike, angry faces, all those different things on Facebook. Um, they can still share the post. They just would not be able to directly, directly comment on the post on our page. It's, of course, easy to do that stuff behind a keyboard. Have you had many talks face-to-face -face with people who just refuse to get the vaccine, and, and what do they tell you as to why? Well, that runs the gamut. I mean, I have had talks with folks face-to-face -face or on the phone or what have you um, who don't want to get the vaccine. Some are, you know, there's just a reluctance, um, especially earlier on. They wanted to see, you know, a few million people get the vaccine before they would get it type of thing. Um, a lot of those folks now have kind of come around and uh, decided, you know, made the decision to get vaccinated. Others, you know, that there are a whole host of reasons why people are reluctant or unwilling to get vaccinated and, you know, you just have to, you know, we talk to people, we give them, do our best to give them accurate, up-to-date information. These vaccines have been proven safe and effective. Um, 
yes, there are lots of breakthrough cases uh, with folks who are vaccinated who do end up getting COVID, but the folks who predominantly are ending up in the hospital or with worse outcomes, those are by and large folks who are unvaccinated. And so even if you're, even if you get COVID, um, if you're vaccinated, your, your outcome is going to be much better if you're vaccinated than if you're unvaccinated. And so we just give them information. We listen to them. You know, I, we don't argue with people. Um, you know, we just try to give them as much good information as we can in hopes that at some point in time they will make the decision to get vaccinated. How do you stay in touch with state and federal officials about the latest guidance and things like that? Is there any formal sort of conference calls or Zoom, or how do you keep up to date with the latest? Well, that's, that is a struggle because, um, you know, earlier in the pandemic, um, you know, we, we thought we were getting a lot of guidance then, but here in the past three to five weeks, uh, it seems like new guidance comes out just about every other day. So it can be difficult to keep up, but we have regular meetings. I regularly attend uh, NYSECHO meetings, which is the New York State Association of County Health Officials, and they are very good at um, reading through the updated information from whether it's the CDC or from the state health department and helping local health department directors interpret um, and then implement the latest guidances. So that's one of the, the avenues we have. And we do get direct emails uh, from the CDC and of course from state health. Uh, Western region state health helps us again interpret guidance that comes out of Albany um, so that we can accurately interpret it and um, and in enforce it or put it into put it into uh put it into play correctly we're beginning to get reports that the omicron variant might be on the decline but i asked your colleague in ontario county mary beer earlier this morning and and she said she's not seeing it yet are you in seneca county well i think we plateaued at a very high level of cases over the last week um just in the last 24 to 48 hours, we have seen case reports come down just a, just a bit. I'm not confident yet that 24 or 48 hours makes a trend, but we're hoping that over the next two, three, four days, maybe we'll, we'll that we'll see that turn into a, a trend in declining cases. We're not quite there yet, but I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that maybe we've rounded the top of the curve and we're going to start coming down a little bit. That would be good news. Scott King with Seneca County Public Health, uh, thank you for your time, and and thanks for what you and your staff have been doing. It's got to have been a difficult last 22 months. Well, thank you so much. And if I could end with a plug, um, we are doing a a clinic for 5- to 11-year-olds here on February 4th from 2.30 to 4.30. Um, That is a somewhat under-vaccinated age group. And so if folks want to go to our website and – register their five to 11 year old for a vaccine we'd be glad to glad to administer that vaccine here on february 4th all right i'm writing that date down i'll make sure we publicize it at fingerlakes1.com again and thanks for your time we really appreciate it well thanks so much ted and we have kathleen cuddy director of public health in cuca county and deanna ryan health educator welcome to you both thank you thanks we're glad to have you here i've been asking everybody the same first question which is just take us back to the time when it became obvious that covid19 was no longer something just in the news that it was going to jump the pond and be a concern and and how did you ramp up and get ready for what's been almost a two-year fight well, certainly as we learned more about COVID-19 as it was going across the globe, we anticipated 
that it would come to the United States and come to our community. We had the good fortune in New York State that we had public health preparedness plans that were mandated as part of our preparation in local health departments. So we had some plans for how to deal with distribution of vaccines. We have some plans on how to communicate. We have some public information structure. Uh, but it certainly we could have no way of knowing how long lasting this pandemic was going to be. The focus nowadays is turning toward testing, and you have one of the state-run testing locations at the Moravia Fire Department. Tell us about that Moravia test site. We're so pleased. Our chairwoman at the time, Aileen McNabb-Coleman, uh, had seen the need. She was hearing it from us in our community, and the hospital in particular was saying, please help us get some additional testing so that our urgent cares and emergency rooms are not being uh, overrun for a need for testing. And we know rapid tests were not readily available. So her communications primarily with our state officials really helped uh, pave the way for this to be located. And uh, our chairwoman working with some of our other legislators and one of our legislators down in the Moravia area really helped to identify a site for the state testing to be accomplished. Moravia was chosen specifically because it was in Cayuga County. It's not far from the bulk of our population in the city, uh, but it's also near Cortland County, near Tompkins County, not far for Seneca County. So multiple entities could be served by this location. Yeah, one of the things you deal with in Cayuga County is the geography. I mean, if you have a testing event or a vaccine clinic in Auburn, uh, that's a long drive for somebody from Summerhill at one end of the county or a Fairhaven at the other. It can be, which is why we were very, very cognizant of that when we were executing and still continue to execute our vaccination clinics. And we took our clinics everywhere. We went north, south, central, schools, firehouses, um, community-based organizations. We went to apartment complexes. Uh, we were very mobile and continue to be so. You had a, a school-age vaccination clinic that was supposed to be on Martin Luther King Day. That was canceled because of the big snowstorm. Did that go off as scheduled yesterday? We did. We had uh, children attend the clinic yesterday that was rescheduled from Monday. Uh, Deanna, I want to talk a little bit about the, the educational part that, that you do and specifically getting people to get vaccinated. I mean, a lot of people are, but there's still quite a few that aren't. And I saw some really nice videos that you put together on Facebook just with people talking about why they did it and why it's important that we all do it. Yeah, I certainly think that the messaging from a trusted source is important. And um, it was now more important than ever, especially with, you know, COVID being, um, you know, touching every, you know, person in our community. And so, we were that trusted source of information. Um, we always have been in the community and no different with COVID. Um, we certainly want to promote vaccination as a tool to get us out of this pandemic. And we also recognize the need that, you know, because of the way COVID has gone, you know, it became more political than probably it needed to be. We wanted local people to share their stories about why they got vaccinated. Um, and so, you know, we continue to push that out. I love I continue to to promote that I love everyone in the video, but I really love Denise Farrington saying that she got vaccinated because she has 700 kids at VTW. Yeah. The Booker T. Washington Community Center. And, you know, that really resonates. And and those local people can share their stories one-on-one -on -one with, their, uh, with their peers, their colleagues, if people have questions. 
Do the two of you have time to converse with and compare notes with your contemporaries in other counties, or are you just also swamped that it's just uh, nose to the grind all the time? We do have the benefit of having a state association of county health officials, and that has really facilitated a lot of conversations amongst public health directors in particular, which has been extraordinarily beneficial. Uh, and we do have additional communications, particularly with our regional counterparts. So certainly what affects one of us affects all of us. It may not be the same scale, but we, we all run up against some of the same challenges. I want to talk about the mask mandate. Governor Hochul issued a mask mandate, but there was no state enforcement behind it. It got kicked down to the counties and the communities. In Keuke County, the county legislature said, we just don't have the resources to do this. They voted not to enforce it. Uh, I don't want to get all political, but you can hardly help it. Did, did this put you and other health departments kind of in a bind where the state said, here, do this, but we're not going to help? Well, like with so many things, it, it starts and ends locally. Right? So when something... Uh, is a public health law, the public health department responds to it and performs it. So we continue to perform what is expected of us, what is public health law, and we will always continue to do that. The other question I've been asking everybody, there's starting to be some signs that the Omicron variant is ramping down a little bit, but some of the people I've talked to here in the Finger Lakes say they're not seeing that yet. What are you seeing in Keuka County? I would say based on our hospitalizations that we are not seeing a dip yet. Now, we, ha we have some idea of the laboratory-reported testing and some of the community-based testing. It's still quite high. Typically, we're a few weeks behind downstate. Downstate is starting to see a decline in the number of positive cases. I would anticipate in a couple more weeks we'll see a more significant decline in the number of cases as well. All right, thank you for taking time to uh, share this information with us. And I've been saying to everyone, too, thanks so much for what you do. It's got to have been very difficult over these last couple of years. Kathleen Cuddy, Keuke County Public Health Director and uh, Public Health Educator, Deanna Ryan, thanks so much for your time and, and keep doing your good work and, and uh, know that we appreciate it. We're talking with Yates County Health Director Sarah Christensen. Sarah, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Good morning. So let's start with you and uh, why you chose the career you did. What made you decide to get into the administrative side of the healthcare field? Well, um, when I, after I graduated college, I did nursing and I med surge unit for two years and saw an advertisement in the paper for a public health position and, and I inquired and was hired and it's just something that um, I've really loved to do and um, kind of just working up the ladder, if you will, um, the, a management position came up and um, I was promoted to supervisor and then deputy and now the director of public health and it's just uh, a passion of mine uh, working in the public health field and just trying to better the health of our community here in Yates County and um, promote our public health programming. How has it been doing this over these almost last two years? I mean you went from kind of a routine to all of a sudden you know every single day is a new challenge and, and new difficulty. Yeah, I, I would say it's definitely been challenging um, over the last two years. You know, we prepare for pandemics. We have plans in place for the what ifs. And when it became a reality two years ago, you know, we were 100% in and solely focused primarily on our COVID response. And that kind of put some of our other public health programming on hold. And we are very eager to get back to that public health program work. And I think, you know, in, throughout the spring and summer, we're going to be able to uh, refocus um, some of the priorities back in that area 
Well, currently we still are in our pandemic response and, you know, um, working with our community partners and trying to just kind of take it a day by day still here um, with it. But um, we've had great support from our community partners, our fellow local health departments, as we're all in this together has kind of been our, our quote, of, quote of the whole two year response. Governor Hochul issued a mask mandate, but said that the state would not enforce it. Now we've had a court challenge. It was tossed out. It was untossed out. What are you telling people in Yates County right now in terms of whether they should wear a mask or not and and how they should enforce it, if at all? Masks should be worn at this point. Um, You know, there is the mandate in place by the governor. Um, They did reinstate that uh, when the state appealed um, the decision. So it is back in place And I think with the high rate of cases that we're seeing across all ages here, especially in Yates County, you know, masks should still be worn in those public settings um, until we can kind of see our positivity rate lower a little bit more and not see um, kind of full-blown spread, if you will, um, here locally as well as regionally. I know that Yates County has just gotten some shipments of masks and at-home tests. My wife is the librarian in Rushville. I know she has them. Libraries have them. Where else can people get masks and test kits right now in Yates County? So for masks, um, they are available at all of our um, public libraries, local churches, Yates County Public Health, all town and village offices, Yates County Chamber of Commerce, the Finger Lakes Economic Developmental Center, the Living Well And um, as far as the free test kits, we did work with the Southern Tier Library System. So those at-home test kits are available for Yates County residents at uh, the Penyon, Dundee, Branchport, Rushville, and Middlesex libraries. And we just replenished them yesterday. So they have um, a lot of kits available and we're hoping that um, they kind of last um, more than a week or so, if you will, and we are anticipating the arrival of more test kits and public health is working with our Office of Emergency Management and looking at a distribution plan for those um, and the possibility of some drive-through distribution events uh, throughout different areas of the county. And by the way, speaking of events, uh, I, I told you in an email, I went to the booster clinic you had at the former Gorbin store, and if public health departments ran everything in the world, We'd have no problems anywhere. I, I've never seen such an efficient setup and, and knowing exactly where to go. And, and congratulations to you and everybody who put that together. Yeah, thank you. You know, um, like I said, we have had plans in place for years for pandemic response, and we're well versed in holding vaccination clinics for very high numbers. And it's something that we were eager to do um, to start in, when vaccinations became available. And initially, they pushed out. Um, the vaccine more to the hospital systems and then eventually to the public health departments and kind of let us do what we're known to do and 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 how we do it so um, it has worked out well here in Yates County having the old Gorman's building to utilize the space is great and um, you know it just it has really worked out well for the setting. Now that more people are taking tests at home, what should they do in terms of reporting if they test positive and any sort of contract uh, contact tracing, isolation, quarantine? What are your guidelines at the moment? So currently it's kind of the shift has been more of a self-responsibility. So if you test positive for COVID, you need to stay home and isolate for five days. All of the instructions on what to do are on our public health website, yeatscountypublichealth.org. 
and there you can also find your isolation order and release letter if your employer or school is in need of that. You can download and print that and provide that um, if needed. You also need to notify any of your close contacts that you have tested positives so they're aware so they can monitor themselves for signs and symptoms. If they're not fully vaccinated, they do need to quarantine for five days. Again, that's a self-responsibility. They also, the close contacts can go to our website to download their quarantine order and release letter as well for the employer's school if it's needed. Um, all of the instructions on what to do are on our website. We also are happy to answer any questions. Individuals can call our office, um, but we are kind of seeing the transition of that this is going to be more, you know, um, self-responsibility and then reaching out to your healthcare provider if your symptoms worsen or you're just not getting better instead of um, the public health department being the middleman. It's really more put back on between the individual and the healthcare provider. In Yates County, you have a significant Mennonite population. How do you interface with them in terms of the pandemic and in terms of what you do day to day? Are, are they getting vaccinated or not, or, or is there any trend there? Uh, we've had had some um, Mennonites get vaccinated. Um, we do work with their leadership within their community through their bishops and some other well-known Mennonite community leaders in kind of the pandemic response, keeping them apprised of what's going on, um, all of the prevention measures in place, vaccination clinics, masks, um, and making them available um, to that community as well for their businesses, as well as their community members. And so, um, you know, we do have relationship with our Mennonite community and we are here um, if needed, but we do kind of uh, keep them apprised of the pandemic response. What have you done over these almost last two years internally to just keep your morale up and, and keep from taking this home with you every night and, and just keeping everybody positive and moving forward? Yeah, that's one of the most important things, Ted, and, I, and I'm glad you, you, know, you brought that up because I can't tell you how important it is because it's beyond stressful. We're beyond COVID fatigue. We are in the exhaust phase and have been for a while now, but... You know, we just try to keep each other up. You know, we find reason to walk in that door every morning, and it's just because we care. And we just love our community here in Yates County, and my staff is just awesome. And we all just have that mentality of, like, we're going to do it, and we're going to find out, you know, find that way of how to do it. But, you know, we just kind of um, try to laugh, jokes, um, try to have some lunches here and there together to really just kind of talk non-COVID. You know, we keep each other apprised of what's going on in our personal lives and what our kids or grandchildren are up to. And so um, you just, you have to, and sometimes you just have to walk out the door at the end of the day and leave it here. And there are times where I've left my laptop and I said, I'm just not going to do this tonight. It will be here tomorrow. And it is. And we just walk back in that door and, and uh, put our foot forward and do it all over again. One of the places where spread of the virus can be significant is in, in the jails. How do you work with the Sheriff Spike and the Yates County Jail uh, in terms of keeping the inmate population and the staff and, and any visitors healthy? Yeah, so the jail does have um, their COVID response plan in place, and they do um, consult with um, the health department as needed. Um, our Yates County Jail has been... Um, very healthy, if you will, the last two years, and it just speaks to the plans that they have in place and the protocols 
and um, how well you know the staff are following those at hand and keeping that congregate setting as safe as possible because they are at greater risk um, because of the type of setting. But you know, Sheriff Spike and Jared Bailey, um, who's the director of the jail, have just done a great job along with their staff in keeping that as healthy as can be. We had begun to see in the last couple of weeks some stories nationally talking about the Omicron variant maybe being on the downturn a little bit. Now we're hearing about variants of the variant. What are you seeing on the ground in Yates County? Are the numbers beginning to go down, or is there hope that they will? You know, we are seeing a little bit of a downward trend. You know, um, we were seeing 60 to 70 cases a day, and that is very high for Yates County. And now we're averaging, we're kind of down in that 30 to 40 a day. And that includes both our lab confirmed cases and then the positive tests that are self-reported to us. So our community, um, you know, our community members are using those home tests. They are reporting their positive results to us. You know, we realize that not all will report to us, but as long as they're, you know, following the isolation guidelines, that's the most important piece. But we are seeing kind of a little bit of a downward trend and we're hopeful that it continues. You know, when Omicron came in, it came in fast and the experts are saying that it will kind of um, go away, if you will, just as fast. So, you know, we're still kind of in the peak, but we are starting to see the downward trend and we're hopeful, you know, that will continue throughout uh, February and March. Sarah Christians in the Yates County Public Health, thanks for your time. And most of all, I've been saying this to all your colleagues, thanks for what you're doing here. This is it cannot have been easy for these last couple of years. And, and we hope you get back to being able to do more normal things in the future. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And thanks again to our public health officials, five of them from four Finger Lakes counties, for sharing their time and their stories during this COVID-19 pandemic. Inside the FLX is produced by Paul Russo. Next week, Chris Lavin, Geneva Boys and Girls Clubs, will be here in studio. And tonight, I'll be at Palmac High School working with our all-student crew for the Palmac Boys and Minders Academy Blue Devils. You can hear that game here at FingerLakes1.com, and you can see the video along with our commentary if you go to the Palmac Athletics YouTube page. We'll see you tonight.